That song, written in 1969, the song War, was originally sung by The Temptations, who held back releasing the song as a single, not to offend their conservative fans. Edwin Starr had no such concern, and in June of 1970, delivered a powerful rendition of the song, which hit the US Billboard number one, and has become one of the most famous protest songs ever recorded. The refrain begs the question, war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. 2,700 years ago, the same question was being asked by God's people living in Jerusalem and the surrounding Judean countryside. Times of peace, of security and stability were distant memories. Feuding between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah took its toll on both sides. Those that once stood together as brothers and sisters now tore each other apart. And over the horizon, the Assyrian nation was continuing to expand from the northeast, slowly swallowing up nations in its path. These were nervous times. There is no sense of irony here for the um, nation of... Uh, there is a sense of irony here for the, the nation of Israel and Judah. Not long ago before this, the nation under King Solomon made money through the equivalent of heavy military arms sales. They made money selling weapons, to uh, weapons of war to other nations. Now... A few, other, a few hundred years later, they faced um, the encroaching forces and war machines banging on their borders. So where do you place your hope in times of trouble? For many of the kings and the rulers grouped, uh, the ruling groups in Israel and Judah, hopes were placed in the defensive walls of their cities and storehouses of gold and silver, to pay nations not to attack them, or to pay them to turn their thirst for blood and attention onto some other nation instead. Hey, listen, don't attack us, we'll give you money, and you go and attack them instead. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to uh, such an occasion in Isaiah chapter 2. One could be forgiven for thinking that God was a contrary creator, when kings and rulers and false prophets are peddling messages of peace and tranquility, lulling God's people into a false sense of security, God's prophets cry a warning, calling out, don't be fooled. If you turn your back on God, there are consequences for such repugnant behaviour. But on the other hand, when all is lost, when they fear that everything is lost, we're doomed, we're without hope or a saviour. God's prophets step up and deliver a message of hope and healing for those who turn to Yahweh God. Henny Penny, Chicken Little, stop running around, stop losing your head. Run to God instead. In Isaiah chapter 2, when instability and war were regular features, God breaks into the rumours and the rumblings. 
And let's read from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. This is a vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above all other hills, and the people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, where the, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and settle international disputes. There will be ham- uh, they, will be hammer- they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor train for war anymore. Like stepping into air conditioning on a hot day or drenching parched lips with a cold, refreshing drink, these words would have been so good for God's people to hear. Now, along with Micah, a contemporary of Isaiah, both Micah chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 and Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 speak into a world of despair, words of hope for the future. All is not lost. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train. So let's explore this declaration of hope a little more and see what it has to say to us. In the last days of verse 2, Isaiah's message is of a future hope. This is not about denying the present. We're not trying to stick our heads in the sand. But there is a reality to the fear that and uncertainty we face and we accept that reality. But, but in the future, things will be different. In the last days, literally translated and sounding a kind of a little bit like Yoda of Star Wars, in the afterwards of these days. Yes, we need to get um, through these tough times. Yes, there's going to be consequences for bad behavior. No, you're not going to just get off scot-free. But in the afterwards of these days of instability and war, just beyond the horizon, things will be different. Things will be better. Because the house of the Lord, the Lord's house, the home of Yahweh God, um, remembering that whenever we see the word Lord, capitalized with a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the author is substituting the name of God, Yahweh, with Lord out of reverence and respect. Yahweh's home, Yahweh God's place of revelation will be the highest of all. <coughs> Common in Isaiah's day was the belief that God, the gods resided in high places and on mountains. The cultural identity um, and identification with land was strong and the competitiveness of size did matter. So to identify Yahweh God um, as representing himself and residing on the highest of all mountains was to identify Yahweh God as the God above all gods, 
the Lord above all lords. And far beyond nationalistic pride or a family sense of identity that one might gain from watching the footy at the MCG or the Kerrigans and their castle, this mountain location did not have meaning because it belonged to Israel. It was that it belonged to God. That's what it, uh, gained its values and its prominence. And the worship of God transcended nations and cultures. People from across the world would stream to this location to worship Yahweh God. Such was the impact, verse 3 declares, that people from all nations would evangelize and promote God's goodness. If Israel thought that they could control or contain the influence of God, they were mistaken. To use today's social media language, the reputation of God would go viral. So much so that the people out there would say to each other, we need to go and seek Yahweh God. Similarly, in Zechariah chapter 8, we read these words in verses 20 to 23. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. They will... Uh, the people of one city will say to the people of another, come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. Let's worship the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of heaven's armies and to ask for his blessing. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, in those days, ten men from different nations and languages um, of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew and they will say, please let us walk with you for we have heard that God is with you. So what is the captivating message of Yahweh God in a time of lawlessness, of dog-eat-dog sort of a world where only the strong survive? God's message is a refreshing message that is like a soothing, healing balm on a burn. God will teach His ways. The Creator of the universe will impart knowledge that brings healing and harmony. But rather than being some dazzling, inaccessible philosophical concept or idea and beyond the TED Talks of style but no substance, the teaching of God is transformative. Verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 2 tells us that um, people who come to listen are transformed by the message of God. Their path in life changes and it's now aligned with God's. They evangelize this good news as they go out from Jerusalem. So impacted, they can't help but to share what they have learned and now live out. So transformative is the work of Yahweh God that in verse 4, those who once were ready to kill each other now stand together and support the other. Tools of war become transformed into tools of welfare, providing for people and for nations. And when we consider the world today, it's no surprise that we can at times feel a longing for such days of hope 
and transformation. According to some basic research that I did, there are currently 53 wars or skirmishes taking place right now across the world. So far in those skirmishes and wars, there have been a cumulative total of lives taken of around 6.14 million. Some have been going since 1946. Now that's approximately equal to wiping out the population of Victoria. When we, can, when we add those numbers to the numbers of lives lost in World War I, 23 million. World War II, 69 million. Vietnam, 1.7 million. Korea, 1.2. That's the equivalent of about 100 million lives lost. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that's a little bit hard to get my head around. A hundred million lives lost. But to give you an indication, that would be like a life being lost for every second of every day for three years. When I travelled in Cambodia, I visited the Tolsleng Genocide Museum, which in 1975, Pol Pot, transformed this high school where kids would play and learn into the country's biggest prison where thousands of people lost their lives. Over the next four years, approximately one million people were killed at the hands of Pol Pot and his regime. I also visited the Killing Fields, an extermination camp, and their mass graves. And it was a surreal experience looking up at the stupa as a monument to the lives lost as a country turned on itself. And in the background, as you're looking at skulls, scraps of clothing worn by those that were killed, some of the excavated graves, I could hear children laughing and playing at an adjacent school seeing exhibitions and people bringing about the reality of the transformation of instruments of war into works of art. Now, Clive, I thought you'd like this middle one, uh, the one on that side, which is a golfer made out of um, pit, bits of weaponry and the physiotherapists in the middle at the top who were working to rebuild lives that, of people who had lost limbs due to thousands of landmines and other, other unexploded devices that they didn't know quite where they were. And so people would be walking in the bush or ploughing a field and trigger a landmine or some other unexploded device and lose limbs as a, as a result. These people and the school that I visited were bringing hope, were changing lives. We live in a world still at war. As I said before, 53 locations across the globe. We live in a world where Prime Minister Scott Morrison acknowledges we live in uncertain times, instability, as trade wars cripple and hurt innocent lives. Far from Isaiah being irrelevant to us today, the message of Isaiah is a message of hope, a message of the reign of God, 
A message of lives being transformed because of the good news. For us, in the afterward of these days, we also live in the hope that the promises of Yahweh God will be fully realised. This message is not force-fed, but it's a message that is heartfelt. But the message of God's reign is not one that we can sit passively by and wait for God to act. A little later, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5 and 7, we read these words. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Today as Christians, we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, this Prince of Peace. And as his followers, we are called to be peacemakers in this world. When we pray the prayer that Jesus taught to his followers, we give voice, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But as we discovered last week, to enter into this good news of peace, we must first come to Yahweh God and acknowledge that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords in our life. The first steps of peace being realized in our time come when we change our path to the Lord's path, when we walk in God's ways. When we make peace with God, we can then become agents of peace, evangelists of peace, proclaiming the realization of peace first in our own life and then working towards peace in our families, in our workplaces and in our community. When we speak words of hope over hurt, when we choose not to cut someone down with a sharp tongue, when we choose not to pass on gossip, but instead challenge the, uh, the um, wayward heart, when we delete an angry email or post before sending it, when we choose not to react, but to prayerfully consider a response. Every time we do these things, we choose to walk in the path of peace. Every time we do these things, we usher, even if it is just a little bit more, but we usher in God's kingdom on this earth. If you want an easy religion to follow, then following Jesus is not it. But if you want to follow Yahweh God and to be a part of seeing people stream from across the world to hear the message of good news, the message of God's reign needs to be lived out first in our own life, growing in our life every day the message of the kingdom of Jesus as it is realized in us and made real through us 
in the world in which we live, where God has placed us this day. What a beautiful thing it is when Jesus acknowledges us, not as part of the problem, but as being part of the solution in bringing peace to a troubled world. So how might we respond today to this message of peace that comes through God's reign in our life? Well, the first thing I'd encourage you to do is to prayerfully offer an area of your life in which Jesus is not Lord. Because peace comes through God being the Lord of our life, of reigning in our life. The second thing that we could do is to seek God's forgiveness in an area where you have contributed to conflict. Another thing that you might consider doing is to invite Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to help you to be a peacemaker in your family, in your workplace, with friends, or in your local community. What might God be calling you to do to respond to His reign in your life today. I encourage you to pull out those response cards and there's going to be some music played. And as that music's played, I encourage you to respond to one of those um, points on the screen now as we respond to what God is saying to us today and His reign and His heart for peace. God bless you.